What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Legit Cool Podcast, where we review, recap, and break down everything in movies and TV series. If it's your first time here, welcome. Well, very warm welcome to you to the podcast. And if you're a regular listener, thank you for showing up and continuing to support the channel. I really appreciate it. Um, my name is River. I'm the host of the Legit Cool Podcast. And today I'm going to be reviewing and recapping the movie Nope. Uh, this is a movie that's actually been out for a while, and I didn't, I didn't really intend to review it initially. Um, and I guess part of the reason why I wanted to review it now, so late after its release, is um, is because I, I think I need to. <laughs> um, I think I need to review a lot more movies. Uh, let's be honest. Uh, there's when people kind of look at the channel, they look at the amount of uh, all the episodes that I have, and all the content is kind of filled with um a specific theme i remember somebody mentioning to me that um oh you really love superhero movies is that all you review on your so-called movie review recap channel and i'm like yeah i love superhero movies i love the genre i love the franchises i love the marvel franchise um really into pop culture no so you'll find a lot of star wars content but um it made me think i should probably um make more in it make more of an effort to review a lot of films that are outside of that genre and it, and i'm not intentionally wanting to only review superhero films it just kind of turns out that we live in an age where the vast majority of the big blockbuster films are superhero or of that kind so um that's not my intention to do. but however i'm here to review nope this is jordan peele's latest film um i believe it's his third film this first one being uh, Get Out, the second one being Us, and then you got this one, Nope. Very ambiguous titles for his films, um, which kind of make make it interesting for him. I mean, he's, he's an interesting filmmaker. He has a very um, particular style, which is kind of the... He's probably denoting it as the Peel style. Um, cheers, everyone. I'm drinking a cup of coffee here. Um, yeah, so, so Jordan Peele's latest film, Nope, um, it's a, it's a movie that actually took me a while to get used to, um, and, and I say that in the sense of, I've seen it twice, I saw it twice in the cinema, I'm not sure if it's actually out on streaming services yet, or it's out to, uh, rent online or buy online, but, um, I saw it twice in the cinema, first time I saw it, I didn't really think much of it, I, I didn't dislike it, I didn't hate it. Um, but I didn't love it. I think I liked aspects of it, but I didn't sort of really like or find the movie memorable in, in some kind of way. Uh, there are definitely lots of aspects of the film that are really memorable. Um, the spectacle, the scale, um, the cinematography. I mean, I was actually, I was actually really, um, surprised by how good the cinematography was. And then upon looking up who the DOP is, it's, one of my favorite DOPs working today, possibly my favorite in the last like 10, 15 years, and that's Hoyt Van Hoytema. Um, you'd know his work if you'd seen Chris Nolan's movies, uh, his latest one, Tenet. Um, he also did the cinematography work on uh, Dunkirk. Um, so yeah, anyway, really good cinematographer, and I was sur- surprised to see how well this was shot, especially the night sequences. Um, and I'm not surprised when you got somebody like Hoyt Van Hoytema at the helm of the camera. So, 
yeah, really good stuff there. But yeah, like I said, my first my first viewing, I didn't quite like it. But then my second viewing, it was such a huge jump in um, the way I felt about it. So I, I, I went from not really liking the film to actually really liking the film. I wouldn't say that I love the film because I guess the metric I'm using here is, is just in comparison to what Jordan Peele has done previously. Uh, so I, I still don't love it, but I really, really enjoy it um, for what it is. So um, so obviously this movie is directed by Jordan Peele. It's written by Jordan Peele as well, and I, I believe his previous movies are also written by himself. Um, super talented guy. Super, super talented guy. He's bringing back Dan, Daniel Kaluuya. Um, who was also in Get Out. Was he in Us? No, I don't think he was in Us, but he was in Get Out, which was kind of the movie that kickstarted Jordan Peele's career as a director. So you got Jordan, uh, sorry, Daniel Kaluuya, who's back um, on the project, and he plays a character called O.J. Hayward. We've got Kiki Palmer, who plays a character called Emerald Hayward. That's the sister of O.J. Uh, Stephen Yun, um, I, I'm not too familiar with Stephen Yun's work other than The Walking Dead. And um, I think, is he in Breaking Bad? I'm not sure. I think he's in, I want to say he is in Breaking Bad. Obviously, I haven't seen Breaking Bad. <laughs> I've barely seen Walking Dead, but um, Walking Dead, I remember Stephen Yun's in that. Uh, we have a guy called Michael Wincott who plays Atlas Holst. Atlas Holst, I think that's how you pronounce it. Uh, Brandon Perea, who plays Angle, Angle? Angel, Angle, Angel Torres. Uh, Bobby Ferreira plays Nessie. Got Donna Mills, who plays Bonnie Clayton. Jennifer Lafleur, Lafleur, I think that's how you pronounce it, who plays Phyllis Mayberry. Uh, we've got Ryan Garcia, who plays the Sheriff Reyes. Rin Schmidt plays Amber Park. And then we've got Keith David, who plays Otis Hayward Sr., who is the dad. The dad of the uh, Haywood family. Uh, this movie had a really small, humble budget of sixty-eight million, and it did okay in the box office. Um, its worldwide bo- bo- box office intake was one hundred and seventy million, so it did okay. It didn't do incredible. Um, I'm curious to know why it didn't do more than what it should have. Um, I'm actually curious to know what Jordan Peele's previous films were in terms of box office intake. Released on July 21st, 2022, that was this year. Um, its Rotten Tomato scores are actually quite good. It's in the higher side of Rotten Tomato scores. The critic rating is 82%, and the audience rating is 69%. So it's actually low. I was, I'm actually surprised by that because I'd think, I, I would think that the uh, audience rating would be a lot higher than the critic rating. Um, then again, the critics really love someone like Jordan Peele. Uh, I think he ticks the boxes. <laughs> he ticks the boxes, but he's also a very creative and um, uh, ambitious director. The critics' consensus, this is coming from Rotten Tomatoes, um, critics' consensus is that it's admirable for its originality and ambition, even when its, even when its reach exceeds its grasp. Nope adds Spielbergian... Spielbergian uh, spectacle to Jordan Peele's growing arsenal. Does it add Spielbergian spectacle? I guess it does. Like, I think I know what they mean by that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll probably agree with that. The audience consensus is that it may not be the movie you think you're going to get 
or even the one you want. But neither way, Nope leaves a strong impression as a true Jordan Peele original. So I'd, I'd have to agree with that. That's the audience consensus, and that's all from Rotten Tomatoes. Um, so, yeah, I want to go through my first impressions with this film. I, I did kind of touch on my first impression, so I'll try and keep this short, and then we'll jump into the recap. Um, so some key highlights for me is the spectacle is, is really well done. The spectacle and kind of the surprise for this film, which w- when I saw it, I actually wasn't sure if it was a it was supposed to be a spoiler. If you had seen the trailer, um, I don't know. Sorry, if you hadn't seen the trailer, I wasn't sure if this was a big spoiler or, or not. Um, and I didn't see the trailer before the film came out, but then I watched the trailer after the after I saw the film. Um, uh, it, it explicitly shows that the movie is about UFOs, so UFOs and aliens. Um, I actually thought that was a, a secretive or a surprise thing that you're only really supposed to experience when you watch the film, but the way that shot, the spectacle behind that is actually really cool. Uh, like I said, the a big highlight for me is actually cinematography. That's the work of Hoyt Van Hoytema. Um, the performances are great. I uh, really love Kiki Palmer in this. So it's the first time I've ever seen Kiki Palmer. She plays the sister of OJ. Um, she's really great. I love her charisma. I love her impact in the story, the kind of tension that she contributes to, um, to the stakes of this film. Uh, some lowlights. Uh, I'd say it's the, it's hard to kind of pinpoint exactly what a lowlight is as a first impression. I think I'll be able to articulate that a bit more when it comes to the recap but some lowlights at the top of my head is that it didn't leave a lasting impression on me and i think that's to do with the um subject matter uh, subject matter is ufos aliens and uh, i think the last time anybody tried to do a ufo film was probably the 60s the 50s or 60s or something like that like nobody does ufo ufo films at all um so there's I commend him for the um, the daring ability to be able to bring something like that back to screen, and I think he'd done it really well in terms of bringing back an old concept that seems to be dead in the dust. Um, so, I mean, that's not really a low light, but but I guess the low light is that when you try to introduce a big idea, you hope like it's either going to be super good or it's going to be not so good. Um, the either ends of the spectrum. And uh, although I don't think it's like terrible, I, don't, I think it's on that side of the spectrum where it's um, not entirely great. <laughs> um, I'm, kind of, I'm a little bit sort of torn by, by that first impression. But however, when we go through the recap, I'll, I'll be able to articulate a lot more um, how I felt about those lowlights and those highlights. Um, the direction seemed okay. I mean, I think the direction was just good enough for what uh, Jordan Peele was trying to accomplish in this film. Uh, by the time you get to the end, it's just um, it's, it seems good, right? I don't fault him a lot for the direction. However, let's uh, get into the recap, and the recap is going to help us or help me articulate more on what I think a low light and a highlight is. Um, uh, so, so the way I'm going to recap this film is the same as all the other recaps, but if you're new to this channel, then this recap is basically um, focusing on the three classic parts of a film or how to structure a film. That's the first, second, and third act. I'll go through those um, in some kind of detail, 
and um, I'll share my thoughts on each of those acts. All right, so uh, I'm just gonna call. I'm just gonna do this like cool transition <laughs> into the uh, recap. All right, so starting right at the beginning, um, we opened up in 1998 in front of a studio audience for the sitcom Gordy's Home. The titular chim- chimpanzee animal actor attacks several of its human co-stars after being startled by the pop of a balloon. Uh, child actor Ricky Jupe Park hides under a table and is unarmed, uh, unharmed, sorry. Though traumatized by the experience, the chimp finds Jupe and extends his hand for a fist bump before being shot dead by authorities. Now, this opening scene is actually really jarring. I did not expect to have an opening scene where you got a chimp um, who's covered in blood uh, with a lot of dead bodies around the chimp seemingly um, have been killed by the chimp. That's kind of the implication here or the impression that you get. And very surprising opening scene. Um, I, I wasn't expecting the movie to open up with a chimp with blood all over its face. You kind of think, um, why? Well, I sort of thought to myself, am I in a... Planet of the Apes movie? <laughs> Am I in uh, the sequel to Dawn of the Planet of the Apes or War of the Planet of the Apes? I can't remember what the third one was. Um, yeah, I was like, what is this opening sequence? And it's it's surprising, but it's also not surprising. You know, Jordan Peele is a very eclectic and out-of-the-box kind of director and creator. So um, surprised, but not surprised. But it's a good way to grab your attention to whatever you, you're going to be experiencing throughout the film. Um, but it's very random considering that this movie is like a UFO abduction type film. Uh, so really cool. Really, really cool stuff. In present day, Agua Dolce, ranch owner Otis Haywood Sr. trains and handles horses for film and television productions. When he is killed, when he is killed by a nickel through the eye that falls inexplicably from the sky, his children... Uh, OJ, that's uh, Daniel Kaluuya's character, and M, who is the sister. And here at the ranch, OJ tries to keep the business afloat and maintain his father's legacy. While M seeks fame and fortune in Hollywood, um, the Haywoods claim that the jockey in Plate 626 from uh, Edward Maybridge's Animal Locomotion series of photographs was their ancestor. Um, so I'm just going to back up a little bit. Uh, I kind of skipped quite a bit there. I want to back up to that second scene in the film where the father, OJ Sr., I was going to say OJ Simpson, um, OJ Sr., he is, uh, he's killed. Uh, n- not not immediately. He's um, it gets struck by random objects flying from the sky. Um, it's really eerie. Like the, the way, the way, uh, John Peel shoots this. Um, there's a lot of random objects like flying from the sky, and the sound behind it, the sound effects behind it, was it was bassy. There was like very low treble, but the bass kind of really helped with um, this ominous feel of objects <laughs> falling from the sky. And um, he gets hit by one of the objects, and it turns out that one of those objects that hit him is actually a coin that goes all the way through his skull and out the other end. And I think, I think you see uh, the horse also be um, uh, struck by one of the coins too. 
or maybe it was the same coin. No, I don't think it was the same coin. Yeah, it was just you see kind of the back end of the horse with um, a coin stuck on the end of its ass, which is it's, it's kind of weird. Like it's the, uh, this slow introduction of strange and bizarre um, activity that happens. It really sets up the the tone for the film. This is actually a really good part of the film, and it sets up that tone for what's you know. Um, how are we supposed to um, be introduced to aliens and UFOs? Like, what is that going to look like? And what is that? How is that going to feel? So, yeah, really well shot. And I love the fact that there's this mystery around uh, objects falling from the sky. Um, yeah, really good stuff. Six months later, while filming a commercial with prominent cinematographer Antlers Holst, I remember this guy that plays the character Antlers Holst. Uh, what's his name again? Um, his name is Michael Wincott. He's actually the last time I saw him was the crow. He plays like the villain in the crow and he had like super long hair, like a rock star, like a gothic goth rock star or something like that. Um, yeah, interesting guy. And, um, that's the only memory I have of that guy just from, um, him being in the crow, (laughs) which was interesting to see him again anyway he plays the cinematographer atlas horse um one of the horses lucky reacts aggressively when the crew startles it the haywoods uh fired from the project instantaneously so so this whole opening this is not the opening scene but it's directly after the opening scene and um how we're sort of setting up the story here this the story is set up in a way that um it's about this film crew oh sorry not, not about this film crew it's about um the kids, OJ and M, trying to sustain their business, um, the the family legacy business, which is being the best horse handlers in Hollywood, and they're trying to, you know, keep the company afloat. While also M is trying to um, have her own kind of hustle, um, she. We then find out that M also has her own, her other things, other th- other hustles on the side, and sort of says that. The horse, um, Hollywood horse um, occupation is not really her main hustle. It's like just one of the hustles. So she's clearly got a lot of things going on in her life and she wants to um, do be successful in business. And she ha- like this being a part of her character arc really helps, it really makes sense when you meet her. She's charismatic, she's lively, she's good at talking to people, she's good at being diplomatic, Um and she's colorful. She's very, very colorful. So it makes sense that she's going to be the person that's like the spokesperson for the company. And then it creates a little bit of friction between her and OJ. Because OJ is like quiet. He's a bit more, um, he's a bit more stoic, I guess. He's quiet, stoic, um, kind of dark. He's probably carrying like, he, he feels like the kind of character that's carrying a lot of responsibility, but you don't really see a lot of those responsibilities expressed throughout the film. But it, because of that dynamic, they're two very, very different people. They clash quite a bit. But there, there is some kind of chemistry between them as brother and sister, which is nice. Um, the ranch's financial woes uh, have forced OJ to sell horses to Jupe, who operates the nearby Jupiter's Claim, a small western theme park where he exploits his story of the Gordy's Home Massacre for profit. Jupe offers to um, 
Sorry, where am I? Oh, yeah. Dupe offers to uh, buy the ranch from the Haywoods, an offer which M encourages a reluctant OJ to accept. So, you know, this is part of that conflict that the two characters have. M, she's she's got her business hat on. You know, she wants to find out the best way to make money for maybe not just for herself, but also for her brother. You know, like she genuinely cares about her brother and cares about his well-being. And when she sees an opportunity for someone like um, Jupe, Jupiter to come along and buy the ranch, you know, that's that's kind of a great financial opportunity for them. And OJ is kind of like, no, 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 we we can't do this. We, we, we have to keep our family legacy business. In the second act, uh, the that night, the Haywoods noticed their electricity fluctuating and their horses vanishing and violently reacting to an unknown presence. They discover an unidentifying flying object, a UFO shaped like a flying saucer that has been taking their horses and then spitting out in the inorganic matter, which caused their father's death. Motivated by a desire for wealth and fame, the siblings decide to document evidence of the UFO's existence and recruit Fry's electronics employee, Angel, Angel Torres, to set up a surveillance cameras. Electrical interference from the UFO and an insect on one of the cameras prevent them from getting clear footage, but Angel notices a nearby cloud that never moves. They deduce that it is the UFO's hiding place. So um, I'm going to take a few steps back here. When we meet the character uh, Angel Torres, he's actually one of my favorite characters in the, in the story. He's he's a smart dude. He's uh, suffering from a uh, recent breakup, um, which kind of carries in his character. Uh I, I wish that they explored more of that loss because it's kind of a it's, it's more of a comedic stroke for his character and less about him being depressed and stressed out about his life and losing it. Like he's clearly upset from his breakup, but um, they Jordan Peele kind of handles it in a comedic way because part of Angel's character is he's sarcastically funny. He likes to be very sarcastic and he likes to have a bit of dark humor around that. And it would have been nice to explore there a bit more, but they don't really push the envelope on his comedic side. Um, and I just love the interaction that he has with um, the characters, especially his interaction with OJ. Um, OJ is like very practical, very unassuming, um, stoic guy, like I said before. And Angel's a bit more spec- speculatory, and he's a bit more conspiracy theorist. Like, and um, it's it's a great dynamic when they're both on screen together. Uh, Jupe introduces a live show, a live show in Jupe, Jupiter's claim, and plans to use Lucky as a bait to lure out the UFO. So, uh, seemingly, Jupiter knows about the whole UFO thing. He knows about, um, you don't know this off the bat, but he knows that there is something fishy going on in the world. Um, and that's because he had that weird and bizarre experience with the monkey. But this is also kind of a strange thing, is that um, I want to talk about this once we get to the end of the recap, is that um, I don't know where the monkey story or the chimpanzee story comes into play. Like, I I genuinely don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know how and why it's a part of the whole film. It's really bizarre because I thought that was a subplot that they were going to tie up 
by the end of the film, but they don't really. But anyway, I'll talk more about that at the end of the film. Sorry, at the end of the recap. Um, yeah, so so Drip introduces a live show to Jupiter's claim and plans to use Lucky as a bait um, to lure out the UFO, which he has been feeding the Haywoods' horses um, to for months in front of an audience. The UFO arrives but devours Jupe and entire and the entire audience. OJ deduces that the UFO is not a spaceship but a predatory territorial creature and that it eats anything that it looks directly at. Utilizing similar methods to those used to break and train horses, OJ believes they can influence the creature's behavior to capture footage of it without being killed. Now, actually, this is something that was interesting is that um, we do discover later on that the UFO is not necessarily a UFO. It's kind of like this scary creature monster thing that devours anything, uh, seemingly eating it uh, to, I don't know. I I mean, I guess we can just apply similar um, sentient or species principles here where in order for species to stay alive, they have to eat. that's, I guess, what they're implying here is that they that the UFO slash not a UFO monster thing needs to feed on anything that it sees in order for it to stay alive and sustain itself. So, um, he like like I said in the recap just just here, um, OJ believes that it's it's similar to a horse, a horse species where um, it can only really do it can only really do something if it sees it. Um, with its own two eyes, whatever that means. I and mean, we, we don't get a visible indication on where those eyes are for this space creature. Um, I guess it's convenient for the story in a way and like, in the way that we're going to take down or OJ's character is going to take down the, um, the monster. So it's, it's, it's convenient in that sense. So I'm, I'm not really, I don't entirely buy it but whatever it's a ufo it's a it's a monster you make your own rules when it comes to this kind of filming so you just kind of go with it um moving on to uh where were we dubbing the creature jean jacket after a horse from their childhoods uh the haywoods decide to hire holst for assistance um and holst initially refuses but eventually agrees after hearing about the Jupiter's claim accident. So uh, it turns out that um, Holst, the cinematographer, he also is a, he's a little bit of a conspiracy theorist himself. I think he's always had these, um, he's always had these suspicions around UFO, which is kind of the theme, you know, like, um, like all the characters, maybe except for, not maybe, all the characters except for OJ and M, um, they all seem to have the same kind of conspiracy theory suspicions um, that there has been some kind of UFO around. They just have no ways of proving it. And Angel has been the one that's the most vocal about UFOs being around um, and is not afraid to show that. Um, someone like the someone like uh, Holst, he's someone who's kept quiet about it. Um, but when he hears about the incident um, with Jupiter's claim, and how all the people got like vanished, including not not including the horse. Sorry, all the people vanished in that kind of show. It helps convince him to say yes to whatever um, the Haywoods propose. I was going to say the 
Simpsons. <laughs> I keep thinking of O.J. Simpson. O.J. Haywood. The Haywoods. All right, moving on to the third act. To circumvent Jean, uh, Jean Jacket's efforts, uh, effects on electronics, Holst brings a hand-cranked IMAX film camera to capture the footage. With Angel, the group, with Angel, the group devised a plan to bait out Jean Jacket with a field of electric, electrically powered tube man um, props to help them deduce its location in the sky. However, a TMZ reporter trespasses onto the field and is thrown from his electric motorcycle when it shuts down near Jean Jacket. Uh, this was a clever move for them to have this random TMZ reporter who, by the way, doesn't really contribute much to the story other than being a, a plot, not no, not even a plot device, but some kind of device, right? A, a device to show the power of the UFO or the power of the um, alien species monster thing. It doesn't really do much. Like, if, if the TMZ reporter wasn't in this film, it wouldn't change a bit of the film. So um kind of don't really care about this character, Um it's a faceless character as well. He's wearing a helmet. He's he's on this electric motorcycle, which is kind of the smart part having the electric motorcycle. Motorcycle because every time it shuts down, it just contributes more to that tension and suspense. Uh, sus- suspense uh, with the uh, the whole UFO thing. He is devoured by Jean Jacket while begging OJ to film the event. Though Hulse captures footage of Jean Jacket, his obsession with the impossible shot results in him being devoured alongside his camera, forcing the remaining three to flee. Angel survives an attack from Jean Jacket by being wrapped in a top and barb wi- uh, barbed wire, uh, causing the creature to unfurl from its saucer shape to a jellyfish-like form. Now, this part of the film, I was... I kind of checked out at this point. The the moment the the UFO turns into like a jellyfish type thing, I was kind of like, all right, um, sure, whatever. <laughs> Don't really care about it now. Like it's it it lost the, its appeal for being a mysterious um, force of uh, nature. Oh, not even nature, but you know, it lost this appeal of being mysterious and and um, scary. You know. When it turned into this jellyfish-like flower thing, I just kind of thought, oh, okay, is this the route that you're kind of going down? Is this the route that is this, was this always the intention to have the UFO be this beautiful-looking thing in the sky? Because cause the jellyfish-like thing is it's a good description for it. I mean, it looks kind of beautiful. It doesn't look threatening at all. It doesn't look scary and ominous, and um, it doesn't look like it's here to attack us. I guess it kind of looks like it's going to attack us, but it looks beautiful, right? The design of it is like um, beautiful. You don't want to run away from it. You want to stare at it all the time. Whereas if it's a UFO, you kind of want to run away from it. You have a sense of curiosity to stick around, but you don't want to stick around long enough to be abducted by a UFO. Whereas this, when it turns into this jellyfish-like thing, it's it looks nice. You kind of stand there in awe. <laughs> um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't really enjoy that part of the, um, or that choice. I didn't enjoy that directorial choice to turn the UFO into this beautiful thing. OJ intentionally looks directly at Jean Jacket, allowing M to use the motorcycle to rush to Jupiter's claim. There she 
untethers the park's large helium balloon mascot of dupe. Uh, Jean Jacket attempts to feed on the balloon while M uses an attractions uh, analog camera to photograph Jean Jacket before the balloon explodes, seemingly killing the creature. With the with the picture as proof of the creature's existence and reporters arriving nearby, M sees an unarmed, unharmed OJ and Lucky standing outside of Jupiter's claim. That's kind of like one of the last shots. It's kind of a cool shot of OJ's, OJ on the horse and the fog and sort of the scene fades out or fades in to focus a little bit and you see him. It's, it's almost like a silhouette at first, kind of like this heroic pose on a, on a horse and and M as the sister is just so glad to see um, OJ uh, completely unharmed. Um, so this last part of the of the scene where she's M is pretty much like the savior in this eventually. Yeah, yeah, M ends up being the savior, the hero of the game. I mean, OJ's they they kind of share the role being the hero of the story, but ultimately. It turns out that the UFO um, was taken out by a helium, a giant helium balloon, which was in the shape of uh, Jupiter or Jupe, um, which is it's it's kind of disappointing. I mean, it's <laughs> the the UFO by the time the UFO is is destroyed by this helium balloon, it loses its impact a bit. Um, Everything that they had, that Jordan Peele had been building up to, and sort of creating the suspense around this um, force, uh, force of evil, almost not really evil, but you know, like this this kind of villainous um, UFO thing, that all the tension kind of collapses a little bit. It kind of falls apart, in, in my opinion, when a it turns out to be this jellyfish like flower thing. B it, it gets defeated by a helium balloon. Um, all of the tension that you built up up until that point just kind of collapses for me. And I think that's where the low light is for me is that there's not, there's not like a, there isn't kind of a cathartic solution to um, the UFO, the alien UFO thing. <laughs> there isn't really a cathartic solution. So I think that's where I find the movie a little bit disappointing. However, Upon second viewing, I did enjoy all those aspects. I did enjoy the ideas and the concepts that Jordan Peele attempts to do. I think he does it great for the most part, and that's why I enjoyed it more the second time because I knew what I was getting myself into, and I knew that I had to kind of accept the film for what it is. And when you accept the film for what it is, you you understand that the attempt to bring these ideas to screen becomes more... Uh, they they become more relevant. They become more valuable for the film because he doesn't do a terrible job at it. I think he shoots it well. He's got really he's got really sharp direction in this film. Well, actually, all this film he's got really sharp direction. Like he knows what he's you know what he's wanting to do and where he wants to go. Um, and I think seeing it for a second time really helps understand that process a bit better. Seeing it for the first time, I can see most audiences, most viewers, not really liking the the film i think it takes a couple more viewings so which is not a great thing you always want your first viewing to be a uh a home run you want your first viewing to be a knock out of the park right you don't want it to kind of 
you, you want you don't want to leave a film thinking, oh, maybe I need to see it for a second time to I really understand it. There are exceptions to that, but um, ultimately, when you see a film, you want to be awestruck by it. You want to be wowed by it. You know, you want to be satisfied. You want to be, um, you want it to have some kind of accomplishment by the end of the film. So, yeah. Anyway, that's the whole recap of uh, Nope. Um, really, yeah, really good film by the second viewing. <laughs> um, what is my overall rating for this film? I would say that my rating out of 10 would be an 8 out of 10. The first time I saw it, I was kind of, I kind of thought a 6 out of 10 would be suffice. <laughs> and uh, it's a little bit unfair, to be honest, um, 6 out of 10. I think an 8 out of 10 is is decent. It's probably a little too generous, maybe. I'm kind of thinking maybe 7 out of 10 is better. Anyway, I'm going to stick to 8 out of 10. Um, overall, it's it's an enjoyable film. Um it, it ticks a lot of really good boxes in this. It's got really good great cinematography, good use of sound effects, really good use of uh, lighting. Um, the the actors are really well utilized in this film too. Nobody really wastes any screen time. The only character that I can think about that wastes screen time is um, the TMZ reporter. Um, didn't really need to be in this film at all. Maybe the chimpanzee is a bit of a waste because even to now, like I don't know why that chimpanzee was in the film. Is it some kind of really abstract, uh, ambiguous subplot that we're supposed to connect with the UFO? I don't know. Are they? Is Jordan Peele implying, implying that the UFO or the chimpanzee is like a, a result of the UFO being around? I, I really don't know. I'm trying my hardest to think about it. But I guess the point is, like, if you if you have to think this hard about why you have certain aspects to a film and how that contributes to the overall film. If you like this is not something that's just kind of on the side of the film. Like this is the opening scene and this is what um this is kind of what impacts uh Jupiter's character and where he ends up and where he ends up is that his conspiracy theory which he actually had strong beliefs around was that there's an abduction going on and he wants to be abducted. So I don't really know how that is connected to the chimpanzee story. If you know anything about this, then maybe you should comment on my um, social media, like on my Instagram post. Once I post this up, maybe you should throw it in the comments. So then, so then I can kind of know more insights about it. I haven't even looked into YouTube to see if anybody has any theories or has really good answers around the whole chimpanzee story. I don't really know. Um, it's neither here or there. It's kind of like, meh, whatever. Um, yeah, so how would I rank this across other Jordan Peele films? I would probably say, I would probably say it's second. Like, first for me is definitely Get Out. Get Out's a really, really good film. I really enjoy that movie. I think it's really well put together. Um, a really good start to his career, for sure. Then I'd put Nope second, and Us third. I actually don't really like Us that much. I think Us is not that great <laughs> it's it's uh yeah i'll save that for another time maybe i review it later on i'm not sure um but yeah i'll put this in second eight out of ten enjoyable i'd encourage people to see it but maybe have a bit more of an open mind when you go see this film just try and put all your reservations or any expectations that you have over the kind of ufo film that it should be or could be 
put that at the door and then just try and enjoy the concepts for what they are. Um, yeah, that's all I have really. Um, that's it. <laughs> nope. 8 out of 10. Go see it. Rent it. Download it. Do whatever you want. Maybe don't download it. If you do download it, make sure you pay for it. Um, and uh, that's the end of the review and the recap. If it's your first time here, like I said before, if it's your first time here, hit the notification button so then you know when the next review and recap drops. Uh, have a lot of films to review before the end of the year. Black Adam's coming up very soon. That's in a couple of weeks. Uh, we've got Wakanda Forever, uh, which is in November. Um, there's a few other films here and there. We're currently reviewing the Rings of Power. Uh, we're doing each episode each week. So if you're into that, make sure you tune in for those episodes. Um, you can find our social media handles in the show notes. Thank you so much for jumping in and listening to this review. And hopefully see you again.